Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Got it! Crowd cheers. Here's Siddle. He's got it! Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Two Slips in a Gully. I'm joined tonight by by Aaron, who's been coming to uh, the last few of our podcasts. Aaron, you're about to graduate from uh, special guest star to also starring if you keep rocking up like this. Well, I'm finding it so stimulating to be away from the wife on a Wednesday night. <laughs> so if you, if you want me here on Wednesday night, I'm more than happy to be here. And Yeah, hi. How's everyone going? Oh, very, very well. Like I'm more, more than happy, more than happy to have you on. So, uh, yeah, the more that you hear, the better it will be. Um, and, boy, do we have a lot of cricket to talk about. So uh, we're going to get into a little bit later on. We'll talk about the the wonderful tournament that was the Women's 50-over World Cup. I think, and I think if we can put on as half a good a show as what they put on over in Kiwi for that, I mean, I watched the standard of the, of the cricket and the way it was presented and the quality of the grounds outstanding nothing but a big tick i think the only the only checker part with that is i just don't feel that the kiwis really got and i suppose if you go through some of the, like the last world cup we had i'm sure that there were you know poor crowd attendances but it seemed yeah. very obvious that there were some very empty grounds for some really yeah. big matches as well yeah. so uh um, and obviously, it's a growing sport, and you know there's only a few million people over in New Zealand. You can't get big numbers yeah. to, to everything. And but uh, I really think it was a made-for-television tournament. Mm-hmm. Like most of them are these days. Um, but yeah, look, I think the, I watched quite a bit of it, and the standard of cricket was a pleasant surprise. Oh yeah, the cricket itself was great. That's what I, what I feel it's just such a um, just the only slight downer is that just they didn't get a whole lot of. At the ground support, I think that the 
you know, players of that caliber deserved. Like, it was a phenomenal tournament. It had, you know, Cinderella stories. It had people coming out of nowhere. You know, it had um, like an awesome fight back from England. Um, but uh, we'll save some actual content when we get to talk about that because we've also got to talk about um, the, the limited overs fixtures between uh, Australia and Pakistan. That part of the tour is done, which now concludes what has been a historic 24-year wait between uh, between visits. So the tests are done, the ODIs and T20s are done, and uh, it's been, uh, you know, been a really good tour, all things considered. I, I, I think we, if we sat back at the start of the tour and said we'll walk away with the test series, nearly win the one-day series and comprehensively win the one T20 that we played, because, I mean, at the end of the day, that was pretty comprehensive. Um, we would have taken that. Especially when you consider the cattle that we left at home, for, yes. especially for the limited overs fixtures. Yeah. That, um, it basically was a half-strength team. If you look at like who you would consider to be in your first 11, mm. or who we, well, let's say who we would consider to be in the first 11, we're probably missing half of them. Yeah. Um, and then before we jump into all that, uh, you wanted to have a chat, and I feel it's a big one to talk about as well, is the first test between uh, South Africa and Bangladesh, which... Uh, you know, yes. started out looking like going to be an absolute cracking game and then um, deteriorated yeah, deterior- into fast, into- basically. So uh, the, the South Africans put on, uh, what was it, so 367 for their first innings uh, off a fantastic catch knock of 93 from Temple yeah. Boomer. And there's a young fella who got 100 as well. I can't think of his name, M, M- Bay or something like that. Uh, Mamadul Hassan Joy. Got yeah. an open. He opened the batting for Bangladesh in their first innings and batted for three hundred and twenty-six balls for one hundred and thirty-seven. I think he's the second Bangladeshi to bat for over two hundred and fifty deliveries in a like what they call the Cena Nation. So yeah. um, South Africa, England, New Zealand, and Australia. Yeah. So that's um, overseas is is the, really the big context with I think the Bangladeshi batsmen. Um, they do very well on their own pitches on the low slow pitches in the subcontinent to come. Somewhere else, like they come to New Zealand and they won a Test match there, mm. um, and probably could have won too. Yeah, they're, um, there's they're, there's an upward tick from that side. Um, yeah. I, like like I said to you earlier today when we were, were planning on chatting about this, I think the thing with uh, Bangladesh is they're a couple of sticks short of being yeah. a, a, a competitive side that will entrench themselves in the middle of that uh, yeah. um, you know that ICC Championship ladder. Uh, yeah. They're very much at the bottom at the moment with some promise, but if they can uncover a few few batsmen that can take their game around the world, yeah. average, you know, 40, mid-40s, yeah. um, they'll and, turn and into a good side. They've yeah. got a good young bowling attack um, coming along. They've obviously got a plethora of spinners. Yeah. If they can just uncover a couple of batsmen that they can build an innings around, yeah. they'll um, they'll go a long way. Um, uh, so they actually rallied pretty well and put on 300 for the first innings. But after that, they then knocked over the South Africans for 200, yeah. Uh, which set up a you know an interesting. I think they needed two ninety, two seventy four. Sorry to win, and you think yeah. oh, fourth, fourth innings it'll yeah. be tough, but it's there. If um you know if Hassan Joy gets another good start and some other players go around him, you know um, uh, Mushfiqur Rahim and Mumanul Haq, if they can get going, they um you know they didn't get going in the first innings. Could be a really really grouping chase <laughs> as it was. Yeah. And when's the last time you remember spinners running through sides, a South African spinners running through sides? <laughs> well, um, never, I don't <laughs> think. I mean, I can remember South African spinners. They've never been the, the starring lights in, in any sort of attack of theirs that I can remember over a long period of time. But 
the figures, um, in, uh, interesting figures from Simon Harmer, um, a cold pack cricketer. Um, I'm not sure if anybody, you know, all the listeners are familiar with the cold pack scenario that come about because of European Union restrictions and stuff like that, where a lot of South African cricketers elected not to play for South Africa. Yeah, and so... Went and took um, cold pack visas or something to go and play their cricket yeah. in, in England. So in the eyes of the... The, yeah. the cricketing landscape or the sporting landscape, because I don't believe it's entirely exclusive to, to cricket. I think there are other no. sports that have had similar things. They weren't technically considered South African citizens in the yes. eyes of the sporting governing body, so they were no longer then eligible to represent their sides. And now with the closure of the European Union, that loophole is there. So a lot of coal pack, all those coal pack players can either can stay in the county cricket no. system, but they have to be overseas players now. So there's quite yeah. a few that have returned Back to um, one of my favourite young players, actually from Zimbabwe, Blessing Muzrabani, was mm-hmm. in that particular. Um, he wasn't getting, you know, what he needed. He was a very lucrative county uh, system. Went over there for a couple of years and then elected to no longer be a Colpac player and come back and has mm-hmm. then been starring. He actually the first Zimbabwean player to receive an IPL contract. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, um, Simon Harmer picked up seven wickets for the match. But like, I don't want to think people uh, if they haven't familiar with this i mean obviously you know fourth innings maybe you know this you know the south african pace bowling attacks not what it used to be it's you know not that big a shock the spinners did the job it wasn't just that the spinners did the job it was that no pace bowlers bowled for south africa in yeah. the fourth innings it was 19 overs yeah. 10 from maharaj nine from Harma, and that was it yeah. knocked over the, the the bangladeshis uh maharaj seven for 32 off 10 overs and then Harma three for 21 to go with his Four for a hundred and I think it was a hundred and four, hundred and three, four hundred and three. He was actually the, the leading light in the in the first innings for um, South Africa, and I've found him an interesting player because I've been you know I stick my head in all sorts of places when the cricket involved, and he's actually done very very well as a spinner over in England. He, he's had you know quite a, quite a bit of success, and. He's getting on a bit now, but is he is he and Maharaj a good enough team to make that take that South African team to the next level, where you've got your three pace bowlers and two reliable spinners? I suppose it turned better their team balance because you'd have yeah. to imagine like they they are missing that callous all rounder, yeah, and then. Um, with Decock retirement, you can't even sort of use Decock as a top order batsman to play the extra bowler. So I yeah. think obviously as the best South African attack will have three quicks, yeah. um, and then I think I don't think they've probably quite got the batting depth to go. Let's play two spinners, yeah. um, uh, just as yet. So I'd say that I don't I don't see them playing two spinners often once they get their their play because obviously they're missing quite a lot of talent to the IPL. Yeah, well, I mean, basically their front their front line pace attack has gone to the IPL. Yeah, you know, Rabada, Nagidi, um, uh, Marco, no, yeah, Nokia, um, even Marco Jensen. Yeah, Marco Jensen got an IPL yeah. contract as well. So. so they had Dwayne Dwayne Oliver and Lazard Williams were yeah. there. Well, their Dwayne opening. Oliver's another coal pack player. Yeah, he's come back. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, it was. Um, I was actually a little bit annoyed about that night. I'm scared about what what that means for the future of, of Test cricket. And I don't want to delve too much into this because it's 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 hey, a Pandora's we, we box. Be, yeah, we could be. Um, but yeah, you know, the this is South Africa, which is quite. A, you know, this isn't 
some struggling nation. This is a team that not that long ago was right up there as one of the best teams mm. in the world. Um, understandably, there's not as much money to throw in South Africa as India, England, Australia. But this is a team, this is quite a storied team in terms of you know the modern history of cricket. Mm-hmm. And their best players have opted out of playing test cricket to go and play IPL. IPL. And I understand that um, you, know, you, you can't stop the players from doing that. They've got to earn their living. And if they, they'll probably earn more playing for the IPL for eight weeks than, than what they will for potentially two Like Rabada, I can't imagine that he could probably play for the IPL and that be two years' worth of cricket for South Africa sort of thing. So it's hard to say no to that. My big concern is, is this is a pretty big cricket nation. This isn't Zimbabwe or Afghanistan or Ireland or anyone like that. This is one of the big cricketing nations that the IPL has scheduled during uh, 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 the IPL series. during their test series. Yeah. And, and I think that the ICC needs to get ahead of this, but sooner rather than later, and and tell the IPL that the, the IPL, IPL going needs to be told that they have you, a window. This is your window. We will not schedule test matches. Yeah. I mean, you can't not schedule anything. There might be some players that are going to miss one yeah. day international series and T Twenty yeah. series, but test matches won't be scheduled during this window. And then, because especially if you want to put some legitimacy to this World Test Championship and Test Cricket, because let's face it, Test Cricket is a tough gig financially. Yes. And all of these T20s and one days and, you know, franchise cricket is to basically pay for Test Cricket cricket, for most of this. So if, if if the ICC has a vested interest in continuing Test Cricket as a format, which they should because it's proper cricket, this is what everything else stems from. So regardless of whether or not you think that it's financially viable or whatever your thoughts on it are, test cricket needs to be protected. That is the genesis of the sport. It needs to be there. And if you're going to need to do that, then you need to be setting up safeguards that allows the best players to play play test cricket and still earn lucrative. Because, you know, people from Afghanistan and and the West Indies and South Africa are just simply not getting paid enough. And if you tell them and you put the hard word on them and say, you have to either play test cricket or you don't get to play for South Africa. If you choose, you know, if you choose to play franchise cricket over your nation, we're never going to pick you again. Those those players aren't stupid. They'll just go and play franchise cricket and earn, and earn shitloads of money. Yeah. And like, like look at the West Indies when they pulled that hard ball. All the players just went fine, and then they left. And the West Indies haven't recovered. No. Um, the good thing about the West Indies, but like I, you know, about segueing away from the su- subject too much, is I do see in the West Indies there's the genesis there of a new generation coming through of guys who actually want to play Test cricket. Yeah, and I think like, and obviously that's something that you you can get from the the franchise cricket. The CPL has been incredibly um, lucrative and successful yeah. over there. So you know there are, are places for this format to help. But I just think, obviously, resources need to be in place to stream on that going, cool, we've got this influx of cash coming in. Now we need to develop that into, obviously, strengthening our core roots, but also then funneling that talent into your test side. And the same thing with the ICC is if it doesn't, if it doesn't get ahead of this soon, if, it, if nations like South Africa are going to be, like even England, England let players go for the IPL last year. Yeah, we which, did it which, as well. Which was a bit different because it was IPL 2 because COVID shut down IPL 1. So mm-hmm. they had a window which didn't impact any of the big nations. But like England was setting, te- like test players from England were, were foregoing, representing their nation to go and play in the IPL. And I think if the ICC doesn't come and just box the IPL into a bit of a corner and go, all right, we're going to give you 
this amount of time, you need to schedule it somewhere in here. So, you know, give them, say, two months yeah. or three months, and you what the IPL goes for eight weeks. Yeah, eight, nine weeks. So if you give them a 12-week window, it needs to slot somewhere in that 12-week window because obviously yeah. the ICC needs to set its calendar up. And then from there, you, you schedule especially the World Test Championship nations. Like, yes. if you know, Zimbabwe, Afghanistan, you know, those guys – um, islands, they might have to play during the IPL if they if they really desperately want to play these sort of games. But I think definitely your World Test Championship sides need to be able to go um, and, and have their play their, their best players available all the time. And, and I think the beauty of that too is if you think you know, even further forward, if you're able to bring that into play, you can schedule high quality test series in that window where you're basically playing cricket, you've got good quality test cricket all around the world for nine months of the year, okay? And then, you know, you basically said, well, right, you guys, you earn your money playing test cricket and everything like that. Here's your three-month holiday, okay? I think a lot of people will be more than happy with that. Yeah. I mean, let's face it. And you could, you could basically schedule it so that, you know, you've, you've got major test-playing nations playing each other more regularly. And I suppose that there is a lot of cricket to be played and there's three formats so that you're going to have to make some sacrifices. And I think, you know, T20 internationals aren't really rated that highly outside of a World Cup. And I feel that one-day internationals are sort of on the same vein. We're playing them because we need to, but... You know, if teams like look at Australia, Australia hasn't sent any of their players to the IPL yet, but its IPL players are at home resting. Mm. So Cummins, uh, Maxwell, Warner, all those guys, they're, they're not there. So teams are, are happier to sort of um, send, I don't want to say under strength, but, you know, developing sides and, and blood players to those limited overs fixtures. So if you need to put cricket in during those that IPL window, you know, make that your limited overs yeah. tours. But I, I, I think... To, to give especially the World Test Championship legitimacy and to really make sure that um, we're not letting franchise cricket erode that, that they need to make a stand sooner rather than later and just say, no, 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 we will, we're happy to accommodate this. We understand that you're incredibly lucrative, that the BCCI has so much power and we want to make sure, and the BCCI has got a vested interest in the best players being available to play in the IPL. Of course. Um, so we're going to work with you on this. Because you're, you know, you're the first Premier League T20 competition that's really made it big, but you need to work with us because we need to protect Test cricket. So we're going to give you a block. Bang! It has to fit in here. We will schedule everything we can within reason around that, so the best players can don't have to make a choice that they will be available for the for the majority of that tournament. Um, and they can still play Test cricket, but um, yeah, it's a, I think it's a really bad look that so many of these South African players aren't there, especially because with that massive series win against India they had at home, they're in the box seat at the moment to really push for um, to uh, make the final, to make the final, yeah. which no one would have thought was likely twelve months ago when that side was really struggling, reeling from you know, all their legends retiring. Yeah. Um, so before we move on to talk about the, the Australian stuff, I just wanted to bring up, uh, so that finished with a, a bit of a bitter taste. So the Bangladeshis are about to lodge a formal protest to the ICC in regards to not only the umpiring. Um, I didn't see as much of this, uh, the, the test as I would like. 
So mm-hmm. I can't comment on what particular the uh, um, they were disliking, but also the the um, the sledging. They made a point of the sledging was bad enough that they were going to make an official protest to the ICC in regards to the South Africans' behaviour to them on the field, which was I think pretty big. I I can't remember the like you know the Australians cop a really solid rap for for being pretty big sledges and. Um, yeah, we don't shy away from that. That Steve War is one of the biggest sledges going around. McGrath sledge, Warney sledge. Like we own that we're sledging, but I can't remember too many teams filing an official protest for our behaviour on the field. No, probably. It, it, sledging is such an interesting word, isn't it? Because Steve War used to talk about the mental disintegration. Mm. Okay, and the sledging's part of the mental disintegration where you're not doing that well and they basically keep reminding you of how poorly you're doing, essentially. I think at times sledging gets away from, I mean, everybody sledges at some at some point or another, I think. If you played competitive cricket, you've had something to say out on the field or, you know, you, you, you're supporting your bowler or whatever it happens to be. Sledging goes over the line when it becomes personal invective. When you start talking about people's mothers, their their wives, that sort of thing, um, people's sexualities, um, all of that type of thing isn't sledging. Okay, it, it, sledging that's is a, that's abuse. Yeah, sledging is the mental disintegration within the game, and Steve Ball used to use it to his advantage. Like, sledging can be as simple as, I remember Andrew Simons talking about having to play Michael Hussey in in, um, in, in shield cricket, and he, and um, they knew that Hussey was a guy that liked to rotate the strike, and so he, and I can't remember, it might have been Matthew Hayden, but it was he and someone else would, um, would always remind Hussey about how many dot balls he's faced. To just to try and unsettle him. That's sledging. Yeah. Um, there's nothing. There's nothing aggressive. There's nothing aggro. There's yeah. no personal attacks. Yeah. Th- that sledging, you know, telling someone they suck at cricket is another form of sledging. And yeah. I think that that's within reason. You you're allowed to do that. But like, yeah, 100, you're right. When you start getting into just personal, personal attacks, yeah. Um, yeah. and then and like I've never heard exactly what has been said other than you know a few things about um you know the um. You know, McGrath's talking to Sarwan about Brian Lara and all that sort yeah. of stuff. I've heard those examples, and they're over the line. And I, I don't mind Australia being a sledging side, but those things are over the line. But I don't mind a guy that hasn't hit the ball off the square in ten overs getting told that he's rubbish at cricket because you know that's yeah. you got to be grown up. You got to deal with that sort of stuff. So yeah. I'm wondering what sort of stuff was South Africa doing um, yeah. that immediately after the game, like because. If it's not that serious, you just get labelled as mentally weak. Yeah. If if you're the Bangladeshis, if you're like if you're making a big deal about really not that much, the press is going to get hold of it and go, oh, they're just whinging because we said that you know they can't face the spinning ball, you know, whatever whatever soft reason it is. So it's it's a big deal to go and like it's you know you know, dibber dobbers at school and things like yeah, that. If you're going to go and tell the teacher, oh, you're a sook for dobbing on a sort of thing, yeah. you get that whole attitude back. And if it's not a pretty serious thing, and you're going to go to the extent of Putting you know, in official you know, complaints. And, you know, going to mum and dad yeah. and saying, you know, so, so, I want says, my bat and ball back. And these guys are all proud adults that are yeah. playing. Like, they're not going to go yeah. and whinge and cry and moan about it. Unless it must be something pretty serious. So um, it's, a, it's a very interesting Watch story. Space, coming up basically. From that. So, and, and, and to be fair, I kind of hope 
the the maybe they're caught up in the moment of like rolling through them and stuff that um they tidy things up a bit because like like I said, this South African side wasn't all that crash off not that long ago. Mm. Um and to be fair, you'd still say they're comfortably in the mid pack. They're yeah, I, on if, paper. If we were to face them in a home series, they'd probably be looking at going home with their tail between their legs. I think that too, but South Africa, we've said that about a lot of South African sides, and they always seem to have that thing, especially in the mid-thousands, where they come and spank us here and we yeah. go over there and win as well. Yeah. But, um, like, I love South Africa. They're my favourite team outside of Australia. I love watching the South Africans play. And, um, yeah, I hope that these young kids or these guys, fringe players that have got an opportunity to come in, don't sort of just, you know, spoil the party by just being a bit too overly yeah. aggressive, knowing that, you know, these are part you know, part-time players that will be out of the side once yeah. the, the, the big, big guns, guns are back. Are back. Yeah. And if guys like um, Bavuma and Elgar and people like that who are the mainstays are, yeah. um, are part of this, then I'm just sort of, um, you know, yeah. maybe just try and settle things down a bit, a bit you know. Um, I said to you just before we started this going that you know, South Africa doesn't often get that because I always know there's, there's a bit of bite about playing South Africa. Yeah. And I liked that because I, I liked um, Australia having a bit of bite when they played, and I liked that the South Africans not only were good enough but did give it back to us. Mm. But um, what gets caught up, obviously, with Sandpaper Gate is that that started, like, the, the tension between the two countries started with Dukok making some pretty personal remarks about David Warner's wife, which blew up into a, a you know a dressing room scuffle. And, you know, if they weren't crossing that line... Does David Warner behave himself a bit better or is he just going, any chance to get back at these guys, I'm going to take? And then obviously that's a big can of worms not going to go down. But, uh, you know, is it really necessary when you've got a team that's, you know, seven for 30 and you're sitting there yeah. making them all feel like garbage? So, yeah, watch this space. It pans out to be a very uh, exciting-looking series. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly I'll be interesting to see what sort of track they prepare for the next test. <laughs> Um, I can't ever recall seeing a track in South Africa spin the way that one did. Um, some of the balls, like Maharaj is not a noted spinner of the ball. He can turn the ball when when he gets assistance, but I mean, you wouldn't rate him as a as a rate. Yeah, he doesn't. He's not he, turn he around bowling, corners. He was bowling balls or pitching leg stump and going the first slip. You know, um, Harmer was bowling balls was, was turning. You know. You know, pitching probably six stump line and going to hit leg stump. Yeah, none of these guys That's, have reputations yeah, for turning the ball square. Yeah. And and the, and the wicket was very up and down, very up and down as well. So look, I I think the Bangladeshis are probably if they really wanted to have a look at that, they probably have a bit more of a complaint about the way the wicket played towards the end of it rather than worrying about the fact that they got called a few names. Well, it'll be interesting to see if the ICC has anything to say when they have the, the pitch. I haven't heard anything coming out about um, the no, pitch well, standards. No, well, there hasn't been much talk about the pitch um, in the press that I've seen about it, but I haven't watched it, a fair bit of it. I thought it was quite an interesting, a very interesting wicket for South African conditions. Well, I suppose at the end of the day, so what there was, uh, South Africa scored 360, Bangladesh scored 300. Um, so, you know, the easiest times to bat. There were some runs put on the board. You know, there's quite a few starts. Elgar got a start. Uh, Airwe got a start. Bavuma got a start. Rickleton, Varian got a start. Harmer got a start. 
Um, Joy got a hundred. Shanto got a start. Litton Das got a start. So then, you know, if you get in there, you can you can score some runs, and then it progressively got harder, which is what you want out of a out of a test wicket. I suppose it's if this was um, in the subcontinent, no one would bat an eyelid. No, I think, exactly. I think it's yeah, just surprising yeah. that South Africa had a pitch that then the spinners just dominated at any yeah. point in the game. So I don't think there's, I don't think hopefully there's nothing too much to it that it's just you know, yeah that they prepared their pace attacks over in in India so they prepared a pitch that was a little more spinner friendly that's obviously why they went with Harmer and yeah. and and Maharaj and, yeah. and they took best advantage of the conditions when the conditions presented themselves so you know, what Maharaj ended up with 10 wickets for the match or 11 wickets oh uh, no I don't think he got any wickets in the first innings no huh? uh, 37 overs none for 65 so we ended oh, up with no. 7 I got 7 right um, so Harma and, um, and Maharaj contributed 14 of the 20 Bangladeshi wickets. <laughs> so, big stuff. All right, well, right after this, we're going to get into the uh, the Women's World Cup, so stay tuned for that. Got it! Patrick Sloverville, beautifully bowled! What an epic conclusion to what has been a fantastic tournament. As we started off earlier on, uh, the Women's World Cup has been just a fantastic spectacle. Um, loved every minute that I got to see. And uh, Australia coming up on top against the old enemy England again, who uh, you weren't here for this episode, but Glenn and I were talking about, they got off to a really poor start to their campaign yes, and were did. looking like missing the semis and really fought back strong to even get to, to the semis. And... Um, uh, unfortunately, Australia for the, unfortunately for them, Australia were way too good on the day. Yeah, look, I think um, if you pulled together a World Eleven to play against that Australian team, the World Eleven would be still in a fair bit of trouble. Oh, yeah, that, 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 we are just uh, blessed at the moment with a generation of women cricketers who are quite simply outstanding. They are they're technically excellent. They are very motivated. They play as a team. Um, they, you, and they're never out of the game. You know, I mean, you never feel like, even when they lose a couple of wickets or somebody's yeah, it's just the next person up. Yeah, next person up. Um, and the depth is just extraordinary as well. I, I don't think maybe the two thousand and seven World Cup where Australia just ran right. Um, I don't think I've seen a tournament so one-sided. Like, I know there were some close games, but you never really felt like Australia were going to lose. I mean, the Indian game was relatively close Yeah. I think the South African game was relatively close-ish. But uh, what's relatively close-ish? Um, but you just never had that yeah, feeling you never, like... You can never, you never we're feel in, like... We're in trouble here. It was yeah. always like, well, yeah, we're, we'll get this done. Yeah. And just, yeah, Meg Lanning and her team have just run right through this tournament and, and deserve winners. Um, two things I want to speak about before we get into the rest of the tournament. The first being um, Alyssa Healy. What an absolute weapon. High score by anyone in a yeah, World, World Cup, Cup final. final yeah. uh, talk about... Putting it on when the lights shine brightest. What yeah. a phenomenal knock from her! And the second one was Elise Perry, and it was a really innocuous thing. But um, there's a photo of her full stretch. It's the last ball of the innings. We've got 350 on the board. She is full dive, like face down to the ground. Hand is holding the tip of the bat. Like she couldn't be take up any more space than what she's doing. She's trying to get that one extra run. Yeah. 
Typical. Oh, no, the baseline. And she is injured. She's coming in with a massive injury cloud. She's will not bowl. Um, it, it, it was said. So she's there under an injury cloud, and she's with 350 on the board. You could sort of go, we might not necessarily need that last one. My back's a bit stiff. Maybe I'll just slide that. I'll just run in normally. If I get run out, I get run out. But no, she is throwing herself around. And um, I was I was watching the, the sort of they showed that up, and it was on my my Twitter feed, and I was looking at some of the responses, and um, and one thing was a common thread through all this going, yeah, it's awesome that Elise Perry did this, but it doesn't matter if it was Elise Perry or Darcy Brown or Beth Mooney or anyone, anyone who's in that position with the same injury, they would all be. Doing throwing exactly themselves, the trying thing. to get that line. And it's just what a, you know, what a team of champions that is because that's the mentality and that's the attitude that um, Lanning and co. have brought to this team. It, it, it's yeah. that desperation for perfection, as mm-hmm. close as we can get it, and mm-hmm. digging ourselves out and doing everything we can for the team. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's what you get when you put that work in is you get to hoist trophies. And I think that's oh, what yes. their seventh World Cup that they get to hoist, so uh-huh. it's a it's a very impressive record. I mean, um, and particularly the, like the last couple, like I know that one that they lost to England was very very bitter mm. for a lot of that team, and it's been used as a, a high, you know. And it's interesting that they just beat off and they're doing for fun now. Yeah, you know? it's actually quite because you. For so long, it's been Australia, England at the top, yeah. and the also rans. Yeah, you know the. the, the Obviously, because the women's cricket isn't developed as much as it is in Australia and England, but there was such a big talent gap. Yeah. Um, like, and it's not disrespectful to say because it just simply was. Like, yeah. Australia and England were way too good for everybody. Yeah. Um, and now, it's not India, West Indies, South, South Africa. Africa, they've all closed yeah. that gap to England. But England look like they've lost quite a lot of ground to, to Australia. Australia. Yeah. Um, and I think England at the had their golden generation, and their golden generation is, is probably coming to an end now with people like Knight and Eccleston, and Eccleston Brunt, Siva. They're all coming, you know, less behind, there's less in front of them than what there is behind them. And they've had, you know, another time, another place they would have dominated the world. They just happen to be up against an Australian unit because it's not just the 11 that you put on the field, I mean, the depth that we have is extraordinary. Yeah. There's probably, it's almost like the, the, the Australian men's team of the 90s, 1000s, where, yeah. the, where the Australians probably have the best and second best ODI teams in the world. Yeah. And then arguably at the peak of our power, the men's powers, we probably had the best, the second best, and probably the fourth best. If we our you know our set, yeah. our first eleven would be the best, our second eleven would be the second best, yeah. and our third eleven probably would have been fourth in the world, sort of yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, so it's yeah, and, and and they're in that same old. I think the hundred will do good things for English cricket yeah. because it'll be that influx of capital to help develop the game, yeah. and it's also all these good players, all these good over. players coming over and. More exposure and in a professional setting for for their women's team. So I think in a couple of years' time, it'll be interesting to see how obviously Australia is going to be continuing its development. Yeah. If England then sort of bounces back to sort of maybe challenge for that uh, that top of the tree in a couple of years as the the um, the the hundred. Hopefully, they they utilise the um, the resources because you can tell that the the WBBL has just been. 
phenomenal for Australian women's cricket. Yeah. It has been an absolute golden goose, and it's just it is just fast tracked yeah. so much development. We're just reaping the benefits of. And the thing is, the the good thing about the WBBL too is that it's been properly supported, properly funded, properly promoted, and created pathways for some of I mean, who ever heard of Alana King? Who heard of Darcy Brown? Yeah. And you now know, they're household now names. Now they're household names. Um, Annabelle Sutherland. She was a star in the, in the WBBL before she even got an Australian cap. She's, what, 20? Yeah, and 21? The, these players have profiles yeah. in the public. It's yeah. not just, oh, wow, you know, the Australian women's team are on. Let's watch. And, yeah. well, okay, who's this person? I know Elise Perry. I know Elisa Healy and cool but you're watching it now and it's mm. like yeah everyone's got their favorite player everyone knows what everyone's doing and yeah. um you know they've got cult followings they've been able to watch them playing domestic cricket it's yeah it's it's very much trending in that direction that you had for for the men's team where you've got you've had so much opportunity to watch these players coming through that they're they, they're coming in ready to go because they are getting to play such a high-quality tournament than WBBL. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, another thing the WBBL has been really good for because there's a massive influx of South African cricketers and how great was that South African women's team? Yeah. They, they were, were very good. Almost, almost got to the final. Yeah, um, but that's a lot. That could be a continuing story of South African cricket. Yeah, I know. Well, time, so we, we, we won't touch on that raw nerve for any of our... Um, Hopefully they hopefully they do buck that trend and manage yeah. to show the men a thing or two about getting to a World Cup final. But they were so good in this tournament and they like very much like with the exception of Australia sort of ran right across the, the, the tournament. Yeah. They had was, everyone's number. I was very impressed with the two opening bowlers. Um Ishmael. Mm-hmm. Oh, well she yeah, made the team she, of the tournament. Yeah, she quality bowler. Um control, um good pace for a I mean, we always have to, when you talk about pace bowling, okay, they're women. You don't expect them to bowl 140. 140. And if you do, you're an idiot. (laughs) Seriously, go and watch something else because it's not what it's about, okay? At their level, 120, 125 k's an hour is quick. Mm. You know, I can challenge the average person to go down the nets and we'll set the bowling machine up for 125 kilometres an hour and see how quick you think it is. Yeah. Because, trust me, it's it's reasonably quick. I, I, and it will hurt you if it hits you. I, I faced a guy that was regularly clocked about 128. Mm. Um, and, yeah, it, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm no like I'm no specialist yeah. with the bat. I'm very much a mug. But, yeah, it's um yeah. For, for the for Joe Public out there, yeah. it, it'll, it'll sharpen you up. It will. And, trust me, it will leave very nasty marks on you if it hits open flesh. Well, so, um, and, to, well talking about this South African team, so they've released the team of the tournament. Yeah. There are four Australians in it, yeah. which considering how good the Australians were, that is, that's no surprise. Yeah. There are also four South Africans in it. Um, let me guess. Volvar? Yep. Um, Marianne's cut? Yep. Uh, You've already mentioned one uh, of the other ones. Uh, Ishmael? Yep. And my... Rough outside guess would be the captain Suno Luce. Yep, that's it. Those are the players Suno Luce. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, by the way, who's the captain of that team? Meg uh, Lanning. Meg Lanning was. Yeah. Well, I was going to say. Yeah. 
So um, the other the, the other members of the tournament, Alyssa Healy, Rachel Haynes, Meg Lanning, and Beth Mooney. Um, <laughs> Pooja Vashrika from India, yeah. Salma Khatun from Bangladesh, and Sophie Eccleston from England. Yeah. Mate, rounded out that team in the tournament. So, yeah, um, yeah it's just it's such great cricket. And just, yeah, it's really good to see, well, it's kind of like the Americans in, in basketball, though. You've got one team that's, ahead of the rest, but yeah. the, the rest of the world are, are really tightly packed now, and yeah. I said, which I think is really good for women's cricket because you're going to be... It's very competitive. It's competitive. And it and, will raise the standard. Um, they're talking about bringing in a, a, a women's IPL, which is only going to create more opportunities mm-hmm. for, for these women to get overseas and play more yeah. professional cricket with professional coaches, and, um, and, and it's tournaments like this where you have... Such competition. It's not just you know Australia and England just running roughshod over everyone. Exactly. Everyone can see that the benefit of yeah. like you know we're going if we have an, a, a franchise tournament and open to um, foreign players, we're not just going to get jokes. We're going to get no. good quality cricketers that yeah. are worth watching. And um, so yeah, it's that's been good. So uh, one another thing too, uh, I feel would be remiss without talking about because we gave at least a Healy fantastic raps for her uh, World Cup final knock. What about Nat? Nat Siver. Well, talk I've, about valiant in defeat. My yeah, God. I've always been a bit of a Nat Siver fan. I think she's a wonderful player. And again, I mean, you know, anybody who's listened to me talk on here now knows how that I think technique is one of the vital things that you need for success in any in any form of cricket, in any style of, of what you do, batting, bowling, whatever it is. You have correct technique. And you have the basis to be a very, very good player. Yeah. You know, and even like people like Steve Smith and his weird mannerisms and stuff like that. At the point of contact, Steve Smith is about as correct as you get. So there's a benefit to teaching your young players to be technically correct and to and to play proper cricket shots. And Nat Seaver is the is the wonderful player to watch. I mean, she's got it all. She plays a free 360-degree game and has power all around the wicket. And quite frankly, against that attack, I mean, we come at her and she belts really. Yeah, if she just had a few more sidekicks, yeah. very very possibly could have been a very famous World Cup victory, but just yeah. wasn't to be, unfortunately, just too yeah, many. They'll look back and they go, well, we got beat by 70 runs and, you know, we made 280. You must think to yourself, geez, how much better do we need to be? You know, 70 runs in number 50, in, you know, that's an extra run and a half and over. Mm. That you know we were behind and we've still made two hundred and eighty. We nearly made three hundred ourselves. Yeah, it just shows to go just how good um, Australia were at the top of the order with um, Healy and 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 Lanning and yeah. and um, Rachel Rachel Haynes. Haynes. I mean, she's kind of uh, up until the semi final and the final. Rachel Haynes it was the player it was the bats person of the tournament basically. Yeah, um, well, well, Healy ended up finishing with five hundred runs. At fifty six with a strike rate over a hundred, so two hundreds, two fifties. Haynes was second, four hundred ninety seven runs uh, at sixty two with one hundred and three fifties. Uh, Nat Siver, uh four hundred thirty six runs uh, at seventy two, two hundreds and a fifty. Um, and then Volva was uh, four hundred thirty three runs at fifty four with five fifty. So that's, yeah. that's rounding out. Somebody. That was probably the, the sad thing for Volva is that she. I mean, I recall her getting out in the nineties at one yeah, stage. She got, she got a, her top score was ninety. Yeah. So 
Um, she looks a very, very good player too. Again, technically correct, plays the 360-degree game. Um, it's interesting to watch these, these women cricketers coming through and they, they very much have the characteristics of um, limited overs players. You know, they've obviously been taught and watched a lot of men's limited overs cricket, and that's the techniques that the way well, their techniques they have evolved. They predominantly, uh, well, there's hardly any test cricket played yeah. in the women's competition, so they've got well, to be good at yeah. the, the limited overs stuff. And that's got to be really the next step forward for in, for women's cricket, but I can't see it. I think that's probably a medium, yeah. a medium it's term. It's got to be plan. a medium term goal. I'd like to see. Um, Australia, India, and England playing far yeah. more Test cricket because yeah. they've got teams. I don't even. I don't think South Africa is that far away from being able to put together a pretty decent limited, a uh, 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 long form game either. Yeah. Maybe like a quadrangular tournament over yeah. the course of two years. Everyone plays a couple of Tests. Yeah, play a home away series. Um, I, I think any time that, that any time from now on that we play those those multi format tournaments that they do, yeah. they should be bookended by tests, not one in the middle. Yeah. So you start with a test, you play your three ODIs, you and play your three 320s, yeah. and then you, you finish with a test. Because what I feel happens is um, they get gun-shy because you'll whatever will happen in the ODIs, and then there's such a big glut of points available that yeah. if there's a result in that test, the series is done yeah. halfway through. Yeah. Um, and so... Teams have looked at that going, you know, well, especially the last two, so Australia and India, Australia and England. Yeah. Australia took a two-point or a, a victory lead because I think we had two yeah. washouts yeah. against England and we had a, a two-one victory against India. So we had a, a win in hand yeah. heading into the Test match. And then if we won the Test match, there wasn't enough points left for yeah. India or England. Yeah. To then win the series, yeah. so very much India won the toss and it became a very attritional game where they yeah. basically batted Australia out of a chance of winning, yeah. and it was only a, a very daring declaration from um, from Lanning yeah. behind the eight ball the whole yeah. way that actually sort yeah. of breathed any life into the game, um, and then the, the test against England again was a draw, but it was a, a much more action packed. Yeah, well, I mean, it's interesting that the, the test against England could have actually went England's way there on that last day. Yeah, so that was so, that was good. That was quality yeah. cricket. But I think there's been something astonishing like nine or ten drawn tests in a row for yeah. women's cricket. Yeah. So they've got to change something. And I feel that if you go into the series first up, knowing that we've got another test at the back end, so if we stuff this one up, we can get our points back at the end. Teams might play a little bit freer. Um, I also think structurally things might need to be tweaked. I don't understand why they can't play five days, especially when you look at the average strike rate for women's test games. They will need, on average, 4.6 days to take 40 wickets. So straight up, there's not enough time in the game to take 40 wickets. Yeah. and maybe you give them juicier pitches because they're only bowling at 120. And I know that there's, um, you know, the genetic differences in the physical output of women versus men, but I can't imagine their reaction time is that much. Like the reaction time of a man versus a woman has got, especially a male versus a female athlete, is going yeah. to be pretty much the same. So if you're reacting to a 145 kilometer per hour ball, Versus 125 kilometer per hour ball, it might just be a bit too easy to settle in and and dead bat. Yeah. So you know, I think there's things, which, but yeah, there's definitely needs work to be done to promote the the long form of game more. But I suppose the difficult part of doing that is no one, not even us, are really playing 
domestic long form cricket for yeah. our women. Well, so. the only really really notable long form cricket we have for women is um, they do play the Premier League, which mm. is two days. Okay, so they play two day cricket a lot um, down in Sydney. Um, I think in Brisbane, um, they. Not having a first-class system in place for women is always going to be an impediment because you're basically jumping people straight out of trade cricket yeah. up into an international sort of setup. You know, like I know we've got the WNCL and all that sort of stuff, the, the, the 50 over competitions and stuff like that, but they're all coming, again, they're all coming out of and, these grade competitions. And we talk about the men's competition all the time. Yeah. It's so difficult to go from being an, a limited overs player to being a test player. Yeah, and um, it's, you know, you need time to adjust. So these are players that have played lots of shield cricket that may have played, you know, a couple of months' worth of, yeah. you know, coming out of the Big Bash, for example, yeah. haven't played any shield cricket, but they've got, you know, half a decade or more of shield experience under yeah. their belt, but we're talking about it being hard to play test cricket because you've played three or four months of T20s. Yeah. Imagine having to do that where you've never played long-form cricket and then being asked to come in and immediately get test cricket right. Yeah. So I think... You know, there's been all sorts of critiques of, you know, Meg Lanning's captaincy and bowling choices and whether they should be attacking and defending. But I think we get a bit spoiled watching the Australian men go around every summer and yeah. mostly getting it right and forget about the fact that this is a whole brand new skill set. These bowlers don't, they're not taught to settle in for a six, seven over spell and just hit the same spot. They've got to try slower balls and, yeah. you know, varying their lengths and varying their lines because typically the batsmen are more proactive in getting after them. So, you know, settling into that, just let's just grind out. It's all yeah. it's all new. So um, I'm a very passionate believer that I need to play more long-form cricket because the way I see it, if I have a little boy and a little girl, which I do have, mm-hmm. they should have just as oh, much opportunity to yeah. wear the baggy green. Baggy green is an iconic part of Australian history, yeah. especially at sporting history, and my son and my daughter should both be afforded as close to equal opportunity to wear that baggy green. And at the moment, my son could rack up 100 tests yeah. if he played for Australia, but for my daughter to rack up 100 tests, she'd have to play until she's nearly 200. Yeah. So, and I, so, and I just think that's not fair to all the, the young girls coming through well, the, the t- there's a tidal wave of it happening in yeah. this country, and I'm not sure what it's like over over in other countries, but here the interest in women's cricket has gone through the roof. I mean, it's basically becoming almost financially self-supporting. Mm-hmm. You know, it's television rights. Um, they get quite good crowds to a lot of the WBBL games, particularly because they open, you know, and they, they're, stand, they're standalone games now mm-hmm. where you can have a double header, um, you know, you... I, yeah. I, I personally think that I would the, love the long the long form has to be in the picture, but how we get there is going to be the question. Yeah, especially for overseas nations yes. that obviously don't have that infrastructure. I would love in my lifetime to see uh, you know five or six t- men's tests because it's usually we'll play yeah. you know two and four or three and three unless it's yeah. an Ashes summer we'll play five. So five or six men's tests in the summer. And three or four women's tests, Um, you know, a two-two or a three-test series or something like that. Eventually, down the line, Um, you know, even I don't even care if it ends up being you know six and six. They both get the equal opportunity to play. What's going on? Um, But yeah, we're a long way from that. But I just I really hope that now that there's 
traction and the rest of the world is becoming competitive. It's not just Australia, England and the also-rans. It's Australia, England and there's some really good talent coming out of Pakistan, the West Indies, um, South Africa and India that then we then get that ball rolling on how do we get them playing more long-form cricket. Um, but before we stretch too far in the future, we, we've got to uh, appreciate the now and, and what's happening now is that there is some phenomenal cricket being played in the women's in the women's sport and uh, it's important that we enjoy that because... Oh, absolutely. We... Look, I'm, um, I'm a, you know, come back to technique. I sit there and I just drool watching Margaret Lanning bat. Isn't she just amazing? The technique, the power, the poise, the smarts. The smarts is the thing. The reading of the game, um, the cut shot. Oh. The cut shot is just as good as as good as you'll see from anybody, man, man or woman in the world. Yeah. The, the the precision, the placement, um, the timing of it. Um, does she ever hit it to the fielder? I don't think she does. Um. Um, it's extraordinary. And then you have. Um, I've actually started to get a bit of a, um, a bit, become a bit of a fan of um, Young McGrath. Oh man, I was about to actually she's, say um, Tali McGrath. What a quite, match winner! Yeah, she's um, she's quite something, isn't she? When she decides, and she's a beautiful, clean hitter of the ball. Well, we were. Um, she reminds me very much of a, of Andrew Simons. Just yeah, a that, very clean, just you know, nothing too heavy. You know, when they really go for it, it goes a long way. Well, um, we were talking early today at work, because we work together, um, how much Cameron Green means to the, to the men's setup. Yes. And I think Talia McGrath is equally equally as important to the women's yeah. setup. She is a like she is a Elise Perry two point She is yes. a, a genuine match winner with bat and ball. Yeah. And um, like when she was elevated to number three in the uh, the T twenties against was that against India, I think, where she yeah. hit that ninety one and it was yeah. some of the best hitting like yeah. Admittedly, yes, they're smaller grounds, I know, but in just terms of watching them play those shots, like she was hitting sixes that would be sixes anywhere. She was hitting fours that went to the fence, even though the boundary's in a long way. Um, like And Alisa Healy, like, I don't think I've seen too many people when they're going more brutal than Alisa Healy. Like this is, when she's going, this is Viv Richards, Andrew Simons, like yeah. Adam Gilchrist Adam Brut- Chris, brutality. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, you yeah. almost feel sorry for the bowler. Yeah. I, I went and watched her score 156 or something it was. I think it's the record score for an Australian in a T20 international mm. against Sri Lanka at North Sydney. And, um, yeah, she hit, plenty, she hit plenty into the crowd. So, yeah, mm. there are some absolutely phenomenal players going around. Mm. And we are... We're truly blessed in this country that not only do we have just a, a, a fantastically captivating men's competition, but we're also sitting right at the top of the tree of the women's competition and there is just so much coming through. Yeah. Um, it's not just like a blip on the radar where we've managed to get this golden generation of players together at the right mm. time. This mm. is this is lots of hard work from yeah. people, Belinda Clark and even further back, all yeah. coming up and now we've just got this production factory yeah. of, uh, of fantastic cricketers. Yeah, well, um, and long may it continue. Because, long may it continue. Because quite frankly, um, like I said, with the explosion that we've got here, I there's always, you always have interesting conversations with, I guess, less knowledgeable cricket people. I don't want to put myself up on too much of a pedestal, but I, you have to understand that cricket is a game of skills. 
okay? And if you are a man or you're a woman and you execute the skills the way the skills are supposed to be executed, that's really good cricket. Mm. It doesn't matter what your gender is. It doesn't matter who's bowling to you, okay, or who or who you're batting, you know, who you're batting against or, or whatever it happens to be. Good cricket is good cricket. Like it, it annoys. It's not. It's you don't. You can't. It annoys me when you get people just discounting what they're doing because yeah. they're, oh, they're only facing 110, 120 kilometer per hour cricket. We yeah. see what they can do if they're facing you know you know, people like Stark and Cummins and bowling 140 plus. And it's like well, they don't have to. They no one does that exactly. All they're doing is they're playing in their competition and they are excelling in their competition. Yeah. To the best of their abilities. And like, no one is kidding around thinking that, you know, Elise Perry's got a test batting average of 80 or 90 or something ridiculous like that, that if she played in men's cricket, she'd average the same. But no one's expecting her to. What she's doing is she's going out in her sport and dominating it. Yeah. And just appreciate that. It's not a, there's no point going, oh, she can't do this or it's against these people. War. It's, yeah, it's not a competition against each other. Just no. appreciate no. the good cricket for what it is. Yeah, and, I mean, hopefully this World Cup will have converted some of those less knowledgeable people to the fact that these, yeah. these women play really, really good cricket. Yeah. It doesn't have to be they who's well, better between the women's well. team and the men's team. Just let them play their cricket yeah. and be good at it. And you don't need to bring anything else into it. Exactly. There's that. I mean... If you, if you really wanted to stretch the point, could a couple of these really good women players go okay at a, in a senior level at men's? Yeah. But they wouldn't be playing first-class cricket. They probably wouldn't be playing first-grade cricket in, in any of the major capital cities. But I, 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 having played... I think people maybe... I think the only people that you... If, if we're going to be delving down this rabbit yeah. hole... For women to go over and be successful at a higher level of men's cricket, they're probably yeah. going to be spinners. Yeah. Because if they can't bat, they're going to be tail enders. Yeah. If they're not going to be able to face 100, they're going to be tail enders down the bottom and they can't bat anyway. Yeah. You know, there's rubbish. You know, Stuart McGill couldn't bat worth a damn and we yeah. still had him. Yeah. No fast, no female fast bowler will make it in the men's game. They just don't bowl fast. No, exactly. No female batsman or batter will make it because, let's face it, it is a big step up going from 115 to 140. Yeah. So we can't expect, you know, Lannings and Healy's and uh. all these people to... But I think a spinner like Alana King, Alana King's got plenty of revs on the ball, lots of flight, Sophie Eccleston. Yeah. You might be able to see those people translate and execute their yeah, primary at, skill. Yes, but it would never be at a high, high men's standard because oh, it's just not physically possible for them to do so. Well, I think maybe Eccleston might cut it in county cricket because... You reckon? Yeah, maybe. There's some pretty rubbish men's county cricket <laughs> yeah, over there. Well, yeah, yeah I'd take that point. On the um, um, yeah, but, it'd be interesting to see a bowl onto Rory Burns, wouldn't it? But, but I, think, I think if we're going to be really... You know, cutting down on that. Yeah. If there's going to be any success from the women translating over to high level men's cricket, it'll yeah. probably be capped at honestly capped at probably top level grade. Yeah. Maybe Div Two County, yeah. but they'd probably be spinners. Yeah. In all real, in all honesty, a good a good women spinner. There's no reason why a good women's, especially if they've got the right, if they're bowling at that similar sort of speed, that eighty yeah. ish kilometers per hour. Yeah. Um, no reason why they can't succeed at their primary skill at yeah. at men's level, but it shouldn't be about that. Just no, let them play exactly. their cricket yeah. 
and be good at it, and men can play their cricket and be good at it, and just enjoy both of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, because well. we're at the point now where they're executing their skills at an elite level, and it yeah. looks like a proper game of cricket. Yeah. Like, it's not just oh, watching people that don't know really what they're doing, but we're giving the women a go. Like, <laughs> these girls are killing it, and yeah. they're playing good, entertaining, great-to-watch cricket. So, yeah. hope it continues. Yeah. Um, we'll move on from there, and after this, we'll have a chat about how our boys went against uh, Pakistan in Pakistan for the first ODI series we've played over there in quite a while. The uh, Ben O'Kadir Trophy wrapped up, and then we got stuck into some it was it three one day internationals and a T Twenty against Pakistan. Uh, and uh, Australia, I have to say, was probably a bit under strength. Uh, I think our, I think probably considerably under strength would be more the, the appropriate <laughs> adjectives for that. Uh, so none of our first string bowlers stayed on. Obviously, no David Warner, no Glenn Maxwell. No Steve Smith, Smith went home with an um, injury. No, he was slated to play. Yeah, no Mitch Marsh. Uh, yeah, no Mitch Marsh was another one. Um, yeah. So they brought Cameron Green into the squad for that. Uh, and I, I think we we did pretty well. We, we got away with a win in the first game, which was a very impressive one. Um, and... Uh, the third game, I felt we bowled better than we deserved to have bowled. I mean, our batsmen let us let us down in that game. It was the only one they failed as a unit. They only had to chase, what, 200-odd, and, and Pakistan did it pretty easy. But I don't think we bowled poorly. I think we made the most out of what was not a winning score yeah, well, in well, conditions I mean, that didn't yeah. suit bowlers. So um, for, for a, a second or third string bowling attack, I think that they handled themselves well, but it was definitely a run fest. Yeah. Um, Barbara Azam and Imam Al-Haq, how great were they to watch? Oh, look, Barbara Azam is, at, the, at this point in time, will be my favourite player to watch in the world. Um, just class. That's basically, you know, everywhere around the wicket, the beautiful technique, the full face of the bat, the eye, the power, and he's just one of those guys that when he gets on a roll, you just can't stop him. And But he's not, he's not as... He, he never really looks like he's taking you apart, except when the ball's flying to the boundary. Like he, he's not. There's nothing extravagant. There's nothing over the top. There's nothing weird about what he does. It's just yeah. pure yeah. cricket. Shots. Hands down, prettiest technique in world cricket yeah. right now. I think so. Um, I think you you actually said we we'll talk about this earlier yeah. that um, he it's batsmen like Azam that make Smith the outliers. Yes. That's, you know, it's all well and good for Smith to have this funky technique to get stuff yeah. done. But if you just give yourself, like, there's a reason it's called a textbook. There's a reason that textbooks teach you to bat yeah. the way that Azam bats. And, yeah. you know, you're far more likely to get success batting like Azam. Like, if you were a young kid, if I was going to teach my son or daughter, I would teach him to bat like Barbara Azam than Steve, Steve Smith because Steve Smith is a freak that has made it work. Whereas if you give them a foundation like Azam, you can grind something out of that. Another yeah. to take away from it, like Azam is still a very special player. I'm not saying that it's, you know, it's it's a simple thing he's doing, but yeah, yeah. it's just so great to just watch, just classic timing and yeah. and, and classical cricket and just being yeah. so so successful. And um, I wasn't aware until halfway through this series just how um, uh, successful Imam has been as a one day international player. He's yeah. Smashed a record, hasn't he? Is it fastest to is it nine one day international hundreds? Link was the you know they always find a a milestone for something, but considerably the fastest to sort of nine. I think was nine one day international hundreds. I'm like I did not 
I need to pay more attention. I didn't realise he had such a no, such an well, amazing start. This is the problem with the Pakistanis, but because they play so much of their cricket out of what we would consider to be the spotlight mm. in Australia. So they've been going around like guys like Barbara Azam and Muhammad Rizwan. If he's not the best wicketkeeper batsman in the world right now, I'd be you know, name, oh. name a better one. Depending on the format. Um, maybe Joss Butler, but in terms of a three-format yeah. wicketkeeper batsman, I don't absolutely Joss, no I question. I don't rate Joss Butler as a wicketkeeper, basically, so he can have the gloves on as much as he wants. So he's a part, he's at best a good part-time wicketkeeper for me. I mean, he got shown up in the ashes to see what a poor, you know, poor technique he, actually, he has behind mm. the stumps. Rizwan is just class. Yeah, in terms of a three-format, I yeah. think he's head and shoulders ahead of ahead of everyone, being able to play in all three formats. I think there might be a couple of limited overs ones that you, you, I'm struggling. Butler comes to mind, and Butler yeah. is a very damaging limited overs player. Yeah. Um, but yeah, oh. and in terms of playing, being able to be successful across all three formats. Yeah, well, obviously, the cock would have been... But he's now retired he's now from retired Test Cricket. from um, Test Cricket. But, yeah, um, Rizwan is just... He's just and he's wonderful to watch, too. He's a beautiful player to watch. He really is. Yeah, it... it there's some just really good technicians out there. Uh, on the Australian side of things, uh, how great was it to see, after a really poor, considering how batting-friendly the Test Series was, um, after a, such a poor return from Travis Head, who promised yeah. such big things uh, moving from the Ashes, to bounce back and like look like he's going to be hard to displace from that side. He had a, an astonishing run of games in the ODIs and the T20. Yeah, I'd be a little bit worried about... My place if I was David Warner, and you know when somebody's knocking out those numbers, if he comes, it goes into another one-day series where Warner's not available, and he does that again because that hundred in the first game was just unbelievable. Like I turned it on, and he was, I think he was twenty off about twelve balls, and then about the next four or five balls all disappeared for four or six. I, just... I missed the first couple of overs. I got in when he was on four, so I got uh, to see basically the whole innings, uh, and yeah, it was just. Some of those shots through extra cover was just stand and deliver. Yeah. Just, wow. Very Adam Gilchrist-like. Um, and then obviously the square drive, which he plays very well. The frustrating thing to me, and he did it in the Ashes as well, yeah. is Travis Head will play a swashbuckling innings and get to a really good score. Yeah. And then he just does something astronomically dumb and get himself, like he got himself to 100, like, uh, yes, there's a double 100 on the cards here. Keep going. And then yeah. the next ball, he just spoons one to, yeah, well, to he, mid-off. He and out. I'm like, Travis, God! He was out in like the 31st over or something. Yeah. He's 100 in the 31st over. It's like, man, yeah. you You've know? got the world at your feet here. You can break records here. Yeah. And he brings it up, waves the bat, does yeah. the big smile, big hug, kisses yeah. the... You know, he's hard on his chest. Next ball. Oh. It's like, oh, my God, it's really hard to hate you because you're walking off with 101 next to your name. But, God damn it, Travis. Yeah, and it's like you'd be, you're thinking to yourself, I'd be disappointed to get out like that. Oh, and he's, I've never had a player so talented that's so hard to like. It's yeah. Just, come yeah, on. Like, I mean, the thing is, but I think he's, he's clearly starting to develop this personality around himself that is he is this big game you come out and blast you sort of player but you're going to get that crap yeah him still but the, the good thing i think in the evolution of travis head that we've seen over the last couple of years is that when he got dropped from the one day team 
was on the fringes of the test team. He's getting out the same way all the time. He's not getting it out that way. Mm. He's getting out really stupid ways, like chipping to mid on or, or whatever it is. But, but he's the, not getting. He out doesn't have that weakness. Point at yeah. gully. He and doesn't the... say he's much more selective with those balls that he's hitting through, and he he's trying to hit a lot of them along the ground. Yeah. That to me is a standout is a standout development of his over the last couple of years, and we've seen that a lot in this hundred, where some of those balls that went through cover and cover point. That, they they weren't hit. They were murdered. <laughs> you know? They went to the boundary so fast they would have got speeding tickets on a highway. <laughs> Seriously, they were flying. You hit one. You could almost hear the ball yeah. crying. It's going, stop this. Don't do this. I didn't mean Another it. hard volley. <laughs> what? Yeah, like, uh, yeah, it was just phenomenal. And, like, and he, I think he got, what, he got 20-odd in the um, opening for the, the, the T20, but yeah. it was off a strike rate of 100 and... Yeah, 87. I've got the stats here. Yeah, yeah, I can that bring no, it up. Didn't even face. He faced 11 balls or something, didn't he? Uh, yeah, so 26 off 14, so yeah. a strike rate of 185, and uh, you know that'll get the job done a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, in that one as well, Aaron Finch, what a uh, a timely 50 because he was getting uh, dragged from pillar to post for his one-day international form and mm. how he's struggling to score any real runs of substance in oh. the coloured clothes. Yeah, I find it interesting, but after what you've just said there, that the very first ball he faced from Hassan Ali charged down the wicket and tried to smash him through the covers and got an inside edge and just missed leg stump. So he could have easily been out for three ducks in a row. Um, it's really, really difficult to be critical of somebody who's had such a wonderful career and has been so successful in what he's done. I think he's a year too long in the job. Well, I, I think that uh, he, he should have retired at the end of the T20 yeah. World Cup. But considering we were playing a at-home 12 months later, yeah. as soon as we won that and I remembered, like I did, oh, yes, we finally won the World Cup. Yeah. Okay, it was a little bit longer, but for, yeah. for argument's sake, I've just had that moment of realisation going, next summer we're playing another T20 World Cup at home, yeah. which means Aaron Finch is definitely playing for another 12 months. Damn it. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, to be fair, he has had such a, a wonderful career for Australia. I can – it took me a little while, but I can accept the fact now that we'll put up with some waning performances from the ageing superstar to give him a chance to defend the World Cup at home because you'd like to be able to give that. We're very sentimental about our, our giving our players, especially our – our story players a, a fairy tale finish. Ask Ian Hurley about that. You know, Michael Clark also got his fairy tale finish, winning a World Cup. You know, Warren yeah. McGrath, um, Langer, they got the uh, the the whitewash ashes. Uh, um, yeah, we've got this thing. We like to be able to give our players a bit of a send off, and I, I'm a, I'm okay with the fact, just okay with the fact that we're going to let Finch try and do that. But I've got real concerns about. Um, him playing on to the 2023 ODI World Cup. I don't I don't think he's there anymore. I don't think he's that sort of player. But I have a feeling that unless we make a change soon, he, they're going to try and stick with him and at least get to that next World Cup because yeah. you'd like to think the new captain would like to have a bit of a run with the ODIs that we've got heading into that World Cup because that's only now, you know, what, 12, 15 months away yeah, from that's now. That's going to be an interesting conversation in itself. Who is going to be the next? White ball captain. Well, you'd have to imagine at this point your options are Carey or Smith. 
Smith won't play the T20s. No, no, sorry, for, for the one days. Yeah, for the I, one days. Carey? I don't know. Well, Carey, Carey didn't play in this T20. They had, you've got um, McDermott and Inglis, so I don't yeah. think Carey, I think Carey's worked his way out of the T20 side. Yeah. Um, I'd like to say it'll be Maxwell, but Maxwell's getting a fairly long in the tooth as well. So I don't think there's an obvious mm-hmm. replacement um, in that um T20 and side. The and it, group that and it, it won't be Cummins because they like to rest Cummins for the one day is and the and, and I have a feeling they may give it to someone like Mitch Marsh. But again, Mitch Marsh is then he's never fully healthy for a long period of time. So then who's your vice captain going to be? Yeah. Um Travis Head could end up if he keeps this sort of well, form Travis, up, could be playing himself into not only being a mainstay of the limited okay, over yeah. side, but also being the captain. He captains the Redbacks. Yeah. Um and on this form, admittedly, yeah, they're, they're batting decks and he's got to put more than, you know, three games out of four together where he plays well. But, you know, he's a guy that looks quite happy at home at the top of the order. Mm. He's young enough to be a captain for a long period of time. He's mm. obviously a very talented Well, he man. was captain of South Australia as like, at 21 or something like that. Mm. He was like, captain in their first class, you know, the Sheffield Shield team at 21 and had always been touted as a future leader. I think he... Well, he was a vice captain of the test side at one point yeah. as well. And, um, yeah, so I don't think there's any obvious answers. I think for the ODI side, it's a lot more clear, I think, because I think Carey is going to be a main. Carey is a, a fantastic one day international player. I think yeah. he's going to be in that side for for a little bit. It's going to take a bit to oust him from there. Yeah. Um, Smith obviously wants to play as many ODIs as he can as well. And I think Smith would do a fantastic job being our one day captain should the need arise. So I think you've got a couple of options there. Yeah. Again, Travis Head. Could be someone you could look to, but our T Twenty side without Finch in it does mean you've got uh, Maxwell as the obvious replacement. Yeah. Um, with the emergence of Travis Head and then guys like Mitch Marsh to come back, I don't think Smith is as much as I love Steve Smith, and I spent most of last year arguing why Smith should be in there. But I just think the game may have crept away from from Smith at the yeah, moment. I so I don't know if he's a. I don't think his game has evolved sufficiently at, in T20s. I mean, he's not being picked up by a lot of the franchise franchises these days and certainly not for big money. So he's not rated in the highest echelon mm. of T20 players. Um, I'm quite happy for Steve Smith not to play T20s. I, I think that our I best, think our, in place. our best 15, I think Smith is in our best. I think he makes most squads. He's a very experienced yeah. critter, but I don't necessarily know if he makes the run-on side automatically, especially when there's such a glut of top-order players we have available, yeah. which is another reason why I'm um, I'm less happy with Finch being given this farewell tour, if it is to be a farewell tour that's going to last until 2023 and let him retire at the end of the World Cup. Yeah. You've got guys like Inglis and McDermott and Head yes. that are all now bad at the top of the order that have a spot taken up by someone who on form shouldn't be there. Probably shouldn't be there. Mm. Not to mention you've now got Smith who walks in at number three for our one day international yeah. side. Like he like yeah. he's there. He his one day international numbers since returning and as a batsman in two thousand and fourteen yeah. are very, very good. He is yeah. like he's not Virat Kohli or Azam level good, but they're they're plenty they, good. They yeah. speak for themselves. Um, and let's not forget, Mitch Marsh. Only a couple of summers ago, he was, he made hundreds of sixty ball mm. in consecutive one day yeah. internationals. It's it, against India. Against India, and not a, you know. So my son was one day old when that happened. Oh, memories. 
Um, and was he sleeping peacefully? Uh, for a little bit of it. He mm. woke up, had something to eat. I think Smith was on about 45 at the time, and mm. then he went back to sleep again. It was good. Oh, cool. um, but, yeah, we've got and we've got Mitch Marsh to come back. We've got David Warner to come back, who at the moment you'd say is still probably going to be in our one-day international setup. So there's, you know, there's five or six batsmen that have got to fit into probably four spots. Mm. You've got Marnus Labashain as well, who's looking like he could be a, a fairly handy player. Yeah. I don't think he's quite there yet, but you've also got Glenn Maxwell that's got to slot into there as um, well, Ben Ma- McDermott's done, yeah. you know. Well, McDermott's 100 was brilliant. He oh, played he, that in the second game. That was that was a wonderful inning. So was his 50 in the first game, to be honest. I, I thought he, he, did a, he did himself a massive disservice running himself out for 50. Mm. And I'm a big... Big fan of Ben McDermott. I think he should be on the short list to be a three-format player for Australia. I don't think he's quite there yet, and their middle-order middle players are doing a job. But um, I have can't see a reason why McDermott can't play all three formats. I'd like to see him score some more runs oh, for yeah, Tasmania. I want to see some more red ball more, runs. More, he's scoring plenty of runs. He's not scoring a lot of hundreds, which is why I think somewhere five or six might be good for him in the test side, someone who's going to come in and be a tempo changer, but we've already got that in head and, and green. Mm. But, like, McDermott is a player that is a very talented player that could play all three formats. Um, and right now his best two he's being kept out of largely because it's, it's, it's loyalty that Finch has earned, but it's got to be a point where we go, you are you're actually you know, becoming detrimental to the development of our team. Because, yeah. you know, if he goes on for another year and a half, two years, and you've got players that are that were they're sort of, in, they're now getting to, you know, 28, 29, 30, and maybe they're looking, oh, we better get younger, and they miss out on that opportunity mm-hmm. because we've given, you know, a year and a half, two years to a guy that, you know, yes, he's been a, a loyal servant and he's done a fantastic job. Uh you would hope somewhere along along the line, but Finch is, is reevaluating all of this. I mean, I'm very nervous about the fact that you've got a 36 year old opening batsman talking about technical difficulties. It, you don't fix te- technical difficulties in the nets. You don't. If you've got them, you've got them. Yeah, okay? at 36, you're at very 36, much you You are what you are. Okay, and you know you can tinker as much as you want and do all the drills in the nets. It makes no difference. The fact that it's in your head that you're having technical difficulties is a real problem. And why? Well, let's face it. Finch has never been a good technician of the ball. Even in his prime, the amount of times that he'd get bowled bowled by any ball that just shaped in at him, bowl real BW to any in-swinger, it would almost seem like you bowl... And a ball that just deviates a little bit back towards the right-hander, yeah. he would find some way to let it hit the stumps yeah. or the middle of his pad. Yeah. Um, he got caught plenty of times hitting at a catchable height through the ring. Like, this is a guy that hasn't, it, it historically hasn't had a fantastic technique. He's had a really strong upper body strength and a really great eye, yeah. and he'd make, for all those ones where he'd miss the in-swinger or hit it straight to cover... He'd have plenty where he'd clear cover or hit through the gap and he'd end up scoring plenty of runs. But, mm. you know, as we've seen, as far the time catches up, yeah. you know, that hand-eye coordination starts dropping a bit and there's not a... Ricky Ponting proved it. There's not a great big drop-off between being, uh, you know, of elite. hand-eye coordination yeah. taking you from being elite to being an also. I think he averaged, what, 38 yeah. for his last two years of his career. This is a guy that averaged nearly 60 in his prime yeah. um, and just... It's just that one, like that small step behind, mm. and it, 
nearly halved his average. Mm-hmm. And then took, I think it took over seven runs off his career average by the time it was all said and done. So, mm-hmm. you know, and, and Finch, I think, is getting to that point. And, you know, even that 50 he scored was off 45 balls. Yeah, which is an express pace in a in a T20 international, particularly in batting-friendly conditions. Mm. And as I said, like, I've seen, I've seen in the first couple of balls that he faced, he should have been out first ball. I mean, he literally got the thinnest of inside edges enough to make the ball deviate away from leg stump because it was going to smash into leg stump. He was done for pace, and he's charging the bowl of first ball. Isn't that saying something about his mindset? Mm. And it's going to be a headache the cricket shows are going to have to deal with because while you know everything coming out from... Andrew McDonald is, you know, Finch's position is building the team around him. Like, the, the media aren't going to drop it. With every every no. time he fails, they're just going to hammer and hammer and hammer. So hopefully, because I love I love Aaron Finch. Mm. Hopefully, he has a bit of a renaissance like Usman Khawaja and 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 silences the critics long enough. Because I, I I'm really starting to feel the longer this drags out, the more likely it is that in cricket Australia's hands, they don't see Finch retiring until 2023 in the ODI World yeah. Cup. So, to get there, Finch can't be a specialist captain and his batting form is not up to it. So, he needs to find a vein of form between now and then and hopefully he does because I'd love to see him, A, defend the T20 World Cup and B, win an ODI World Cup as captain. Um, But, yeah, we've got a lot of work to do. Um, Shifting back to a positive, how great was A, Cameron Green with the ball and Nathan Ellis? Well, Nathan Ellis, I mean, he's been somebody who's been on the radar for a little bit. Um, I like his pace, and I like the fact he can bowl you an over full of Yorkers. Yeah, I love him I as, love, as a death bowler. I love the fact that he comes in, I don't care, and it's going to bowl 140 kilometre Yorkers, you know, and I might hit you, on, you might get a low full toss every now and then, but I don't care. Yeah. I'm going to just aim at your stumps and try he, and... He's probably the only australia who's currently in the australian setup the only out and out defensive bowler yeah. with a defensive skill set yeah uh, hazelwood and and co can do the job yeah but ellis in terms if you're going to pick the best defensive bowler like yeah. the best defensive fast bowler in the country it's unquestionably nathan ellis at the moment i think yeah. especially his exploits in the, in the big bash i think um, well, Rashid Khan is an outlier because yeah. it doesn't matter where he goes, he doesn't go for runs. Yeah. But Nathan Ellis was, for the last, I think it was the last two years, was second in economy rate to Rashid Khan in the death overs. So bowl yeah. overs 15 through to 20. Yeah. The overs bowl 15 through to 20, he had the second best economy we rate. We quite often bowls two or three of his, of his four overs in those last five overs. You yeah. know, it's nothing to see him bowl over 18 and 20. Yeah. Or seventeen and nineteen, depending on who you've got down the other end. And like I said, I like, what impresses me is the defensive skill set, and he understands how hard it is to hit a bloody yorker at one hundred forty k. And, and he isn't afraid to go and execute no. it, and, and and executes it repeatedly. It's a his actions really, really set up to bowl that full, fast length straight at your toes. You look at it. You look at him running in, and he just looks to me. He, I'm sure he's got a very good bouncer too. He doesn't use it very much, obviously, in the depth overs because you don't want to be allowing people to get underneath you and stuff like that. He's slower balls. He's got a couple of good slower balls. Mm. And that Yorker, that Yorker's the money ball for him. Yeah. And he lands it, he's landing it nine times out of ten in, mm. a, in an unhittable position. And he's another guy that I feel is, like, obviously, at this point, you, Australia will probably still believe that their best frontline attack will be Stark, Cummins, Hazelwood going yeah. into an ODI. And he's another guy that's going to be stuck behind a, a, 
a bunch of really, really good players. So um, I'm glad that he's getting opportunities and at least giving the selectors something to to think about because, you know, that that reserve bowler used to be guys like Kane Richardson and and stuff who obviously didn't come on this tour. Um, And he's come and grabbed an opportunity with with both hands and Mm. should then hopefully be in and amongst that. And I think over in in the subcontinent, guys like Hazelwood might not get as much of a go um, in the 50-over games and some of these subcontinent games for the, the ODI World Cup because yeah. um, Ellis does have that skill set of yeah. that defensive skill set might get him in as, as a matchup sort of thing. Mm. Um, but yeah, he's a phenomenal player. Uh, if Glenn was here, he'd be he'd be jumping all over us. He'd be wanting to he'd be demanding the microphone. He is a massive fan of, of Nathan Ellis, so. Mm. Uh, he's and I just love his energy. Like I know all of you, you professional cricketers love being out there and playing cricket, but he just he just seems like a puppy dog out there. Something yeah. almost lavishing esque. Like yeah. he, everything he's doing, he's enjoying his cricket, and that's uh, it's good to see. Yeah. Um. So wrapping up because I think we've gone on for a while now. I think that uh, that does Australian cricket for a little bit. We've yeah, got... everybody's going home to the IPL to make um, some lazy money, and the guys who don't need it. Staying at home and having a bit of a rest. Getting themselves geared up for the tour to Sri Lanka. Oh, actually, one thing to add. I saw an interesting um, uh, what if. Uh, So um, Nathan, uh, Peter Hanscom, I don't know got Nathan, Peter Hanscom just got, um, he was the player of the the batsman of the the Sheffield Shield. Yeah, leading run scorer. Leading run scorer. We've got a tour to to Sri Lanka and Hanscom is a fantastic player of spin. Do you think off the back of – and he's had two years in a row now where Hanscom's been really right up there as terms of the run scorers. Do you think he might put some pressure on Travis Head, who looked a little bit at sea on those sort of wickets? Yeah. Uh, I, I'm, and I'm, these ones will turn. It won't just yeah. be slow. They will be slow and turn over in Sri Lanka. Yeah, look, I think Travis Head has enough credits in the bank from his exploits this year to certainly be first choice in that. Because, I mean, the thing is about him – He's, he's very much a guy like an Adam Gilchrist where he may be a bit scratchy, but two or three balls out of the centre of the bat, and that changes things very, very quickly. They want him in the team as that X factor. Yeah. He gives you that two Ashes hundreds in 200 balls. Do you know what I mean? Like just extraordinary stuff. That's an X factor that Peter Hanscom doesn't have. Yeah. Um, are you prepared to... to Put that aside, hoping that a guy who's had his chance previously and is only being brought back because he's a fabled player of spin against the guy who is potentially going to be one of your leaders going forward. Because I, I can see Travis said, like you said, he's already been the vice captain. He obviously is in a leadership role within the team. Are you going to drop him and possibly do his confidence? Some harm. I, for, for, is Peter Hanscom a long-term replacement for Travis Head, or is he just going for that one tour and you're saying to Travis, mate, look, go away and work on some stuff like Usman did and become a better player of spin on these low, slow wickets? I don't think Hanscom should go. I, I would like to see Hanscom in the squad to repay a couple of years of... Um, mm. Yeah, you know, solid run scoring in conditions that should suit him. I don't think he makes. I'm with you. I think Travis Head's got enough runs in the bank now. You know, he did what you wanted to do in at home, yeah. and you've got to be able to give these plays a little bit of leash. They can't just yes. have a couple of bad innings and they're back out. 
after what he did in uh, what he did against England. He's, but it was concerning his the lack of confidence in his footwork to the slower bowlers, and he's going to only get found out more where the ball's actually going to be doing stuff. So it's not just low and slow; it's going to be low, slow, and turning around corners. So I would be I would definitely be giving him Sri Lanka. But I would be asking serious questions about tours to India with Travis Head if Travis Head doesn't find some way to combat slow bowling um, in Sri Lanka. Because that, you know, if he comes out and has a shocking tour and he can't get his footwork right and he's just looking all at sea, what are we playing? Two tests against Sri Lanka? Yeah. So, what that's potentially he's had, um, what? Five or six innings in Pakistan, yeah, potentially four. four innings in. And if he hasn't really worked anything out to look like he's turning that corner, I, I do think it's time to then maybe go at the moment. Maybe Travis Head is a home track bully and South Africa and places where the ball suits him until yeah. he can work that. So I don't think we can afford because we obviously want to win this. It's India. It's the it's the other big frontier for us. Yeah. You know, we, other than England. Do we can we afford to carry Travis Head as a passenger after having half a dozen innings, or you know, where he shown that probably it probably isn't going to work? Yeah. Do we take that risk and go? Well, Travis Head's had half a dozen innings where everything's every all the evidence is saying I'm going to struggle because he's earned the right playing home in Australia, or do we take a proactive approach like we did to Usman Khawaja when he was a young player and just couldn't face spin at all? Yeah. Where we go, all right, Usman, you're going to go murder it for us on home soil, but if we go into the subcontinent, we can't play you. Yeah. So I, I think at the moment, yes, Travis Head. There's any questions about him playing in the next test are mm. premature. He will be there. Oh, He's earned that right. Yeah. But I do think the selectors need to give themselves the option of taking a real serious look at it. If Travis and not if he doesn't score runs, that's one thing. Everyone can have a low scoring series, yeah. but so long as he Looks, looks like he's, he's figured looked, it out yeah. and then got a bit unlucky in, you know because you're just going to get balls with your name on it playing on spinning conditions like that but so long yeah. as he looks like he's got the technique and and the footwork to to be successful he's not looking all at sea I'm happy to go but if he if he's struggling over in Sri Lanka I think yeah it's time to ask those serious questions going is Travis head ready continent tour so but hopefully uh that won't be an issue. I, I, for mine, I think Travis Head's earned the, the opportunity to be there and uh, hopefully score some runs. Um, I think that'll do us for tonight. We have gone on for quite a while. Uh, thank you again, uh, Aaron, for, for joining us. I think we were going to have to keep you as a, as a regular. Well, I'm starting to feel like I'm that mangy dog that lives over in the corner that you throw a bone to occasionally, so thanks for having me. Yeah, just fed you enough that now yeah, this is your, your yeah, second home. This is my second home. <laughs> uh, well, thank you very much, guys. Will, that'll do us for tonight. Uh, we'll be back next week with fantastic cricket chat coming your way. And until then, bye for now. Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday. I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.